My guest today is Dr. Robert Malone, a doctor, scientist, inventor, and Virginian farmer. We discuss the organizations and people behind the creation of the World Economic Forum, the war against farmers, and the potential fall guys for the COVID-19 pandemic. This is another conversation with one of my favorite people in the world today. Stay tuned. Dr. Malone, we meet again. How are you, sir? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm great. I'm great now that I'm talking to you, man. I uh, I told you before we did this, and I'm glad I'm getting another swing at this because uh, I felt like I was not at the intellectual level I should have been for our first conversation. And, so. and saying that embarrasses me. Uh, so I'm, you know, remember I was a carpenter and a farmhand before I was a physician and a scientist. Right. And we still run our farm uh, today. And by the way, it's a nasty, wet, cold, muddy day. Uh, and, um, you know, I still have to get the hay and plow the fields and uh, fix the tractor and everything else. So uh, I'm I, I'm flattered by your comments, but please uh, uh, just just drop it and let's just be normal people. <laughs> okay, deal. Uh, actually, you know what? You brought up a very, uh, what I wanted to, to lead with. Um, you know, you're a doctor and a scientist and inventor, but you're also a farmer. And uh, there seems to be a global war on farmers right now. And, you know, we're seeing um, protests in Germany. Yeah. Uh, we saw protests in the Netherlands. Uh, I don't think Canada- Which were gonna... successful, right? Yes, that's right. And, uh, and and I don't think Canada is going to be very far behind. I think the farmers out here are getting very restless. Um, is this an issue you're familiar with? Yeah. So Ava, Ava Vandenbuch or whatever her last name is, of <laughs> uh, uh, this uh, amazingly attractive and uh, well-spoken uh, blonde woman who's been standing in the barricades with the farmers all the way through this is a friend. Uh, we've we've uh, spent social time together, uh, and um, and I really respect uh, what she's been doing, and I follow follow that thread closely. It's it's as you say near and dear to my heart. As is the are the various moves here in the states. Uh, I I don't know so much about the Canadian farmer situation. I uh, was. Uh, integrated to a significant extent, I don't want to take credit for anything, but in supporting the Canadian truckers, uh, and I still have uh, my uh, Freedom Riders jacket uh, from the uh, horsemen that supported them, uh, and um, and one of my most popular Substack essays is uh, the letter to the Canadian truckers that uh, I posted, and I recorded various videos uh, and podcasts in support of them when that was all happening and, you know, what a tragedy and how that was terminated. Still unclear to me uh, who those troops were. And I think uh, unclear to many where those troops came from. Uh, apparently they weren't Canadians uh, and uh, who brought them in and from where and all that seems to remain a, a mystery. Uh, I, if the, if the, uh, Canadian, you know, are you based in Alberta? I got to ask. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm. I'm in the yeah, Calgary so, area. So, 
I, I just did a uh, an hour and a half or two hours with the uh, Citizens Inquiry Group uh, yesterday. Uh, so um, they're telling me that uh, there's a growing uh, awareness by, let's say, the persuadable middle in Alberta, at least, uh, that uh, they've been had. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Um, and uh, and they're not very happy about it. Uh, and whereas previously people that were uh, completely resistant to an alternative narrative uh, have uh, increasingly opened up, let's say, to uh, the message that they weren't told the truth about a whole lot of things, uh, not the least of which is the regulatory status of the the uh, quote vaccine products and all the lockdown policies and everything else. Uh, and um, that, that if that's true, if you can verify that, that's really good news. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, it's um, the atmosphere here in Alberta is one that is sharply swinging toward independence. And, um, you know, we're our premier here in Alberta is Danielle Smith. And she yeah. she's part of the United Conservative Party, but I, I I politically I would consider her more of a libertarian than anything. And Danielle Smith is a direct response in terms of her being voted premier. It's a direct response to Justin Trudeau and and the death cult that currently runs our country. Uh, death cult, uh, you know, appropriately so named because of the state assisted suicide bills and advocacy. Uh, which is now becoming a significant cause of death, as I understand it, in in uh, Canada. Yeah. Uh, I, the, sorry, please much, go ahead. Much of the world is shocked uh, to see to see what's going there because what we've seen uh, is that these, I'll just say it, World Economic Forum affiliated uh, politicians uh, seem to be piloting policies within Canada that they then attempt to deploy in other nation states. Uh, so we look at Canada these days increasingly as a, a weather vane, uh, I guess would be a metaphor for how how the wind may be blowing soon uh, in other regions, including here in the US. I mean, here, here I, I'm having a growing number of voices uh, that are quite experienced in American politics and you know have served in the White House, et cetera, asserting that they've come to the conclusion that Mr. Biden is compromised uh, by the CCP uh, for however, is it financial? Is it blackmail? I mean, we've had these reveals about Epstein and, and all of that. Uh, who knows uh, what what might be the driver there, but that it's it's extremely difficult to square the circle of Biden's executive actions uh, that seem so contrary to American interests and so consistent with CCP interests as anything other, you know, as, as a coincidence, let's say. It's very difficult, increasingly difficult to attribute uh, the actions to pure coincidence. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in, in Canada, so I spoke to um, Sam Cooper. He's an investigative journalist here in Canada, and he's been digging into the foreign influence uh, story. And the more he digs, it just it it becomes increasingly 
um, it becomes increasingly evident that the CCP is not, I, I wouldn't even say just influencing, I would, I would say installing uh, members yeah. of our government. And, and integrated. Yeah. Uh, I, I just learned yesterday that half of the employees at the NIH are Chinese nationals. How does that, you know, as a doctor, right? I mean, to see, for somebody like me on the outside, I hear that and it's appalling. But for a doctor, for somebody who understands the inner workings of medicine, I mean, what what is that? What do you, like, how do you feel about that? Uh, alarmed, uh, disgusted. Uh, one of the things that's, it's, it's become normalized uh, that uh, the uh, Chinese nationals are a quote, good value. Uh, and uh, they work, uh, it's much like the same logic. I don't know if you saw the little clip from The View, probably not. I did. Uh, Okay, with the with the blue hair and uh, who's going to clean uh, Donald Trump's toilets? Yeah, uh, just a stunning statement. Uh, but uh, in in um, cutting edge medical research, uh, these folks are long known to put their head down, uh, do what they're told, and they will. There, there's a, a long history of folks, uh, you know coming out of the Chinese educational system, which by the way, their MD has little to do with our MDs, but they're, it's granted the same. And so they're given the same status, likewise PhD. Uh, um, but uh, um, they, they will uh, generate the data that's necessary to support the hypothesis, um, if you follow what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So they're there. If you're if you're a principal investigator at NIH or otherwise, and you're funded to do certain things and prove certain things, uh, then these are the perfect worker bees. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll do what they're told. They'll work diligently and they'll uh, do their best to produce the data that you need. The 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 one of you know as we trace back through the corrupting influences that have pervaded. Uh, modern medicine. Of course, everybody likes to beat up on pharma and for good reason. Uh, but uh, there are also uh, perverse incentives built within uh, the federal funding uh, streams. And uh, the short version is if, if a given institute uh, pays you to work on a given problem, if you produce data that contradicts the accepted narrative, uh, then uh, you will not get more funding. You're you're basically when you sign up for those grants and contracts, you're you're expected to deliver uh, the content that the government is seeking, not the truth. It's not about the truth; it's about the narrative. Uh, and once you go down that hole, uh, then suddenly everything becomes relative. You know, when, when it's all about uh, increasing power and funding and, and full-time employees and square footage and uh, your, your list of toys, uh, then um, the, the data and the truth become victims and secondary. And this, this is one of the corrupting influences that's happened uh, that no one acknowledges, but there, 
they're built in these structural incentives. So getting back to the Chinese nationals, uh, they're, they, they, you know, they worked for peanuts, uh, almost literally. Uh, and in part that, that, you know, there is a, uh, it's long been known, uh, they call it the NIH shunt, that uh, if you can spend your three, four, five years in NIH as a postdoc, then you're able to get high status positions in academia. Or if you return back to China in Chinese academia, uh, so you you have this emprunteur, uh, uh, it's like uh, the... Uh, benefits that used to flow from going to one of the Ivy League schools. Uh, you're you're branded as among the elite, uh, and that that yields all kinds of upsides. You then have a network of contacts uh, within the federal government, within the NIH structure, and you can tap into those to get foreshadowing about new funding initiatives, uh, to get a preferential uh, review. Uh, um, etc. You know, basically, it it sets you up as uh, of the uh, chosen uh, um, for the rest of your career, unless you do something uh, like I did uh, and and buck the system, right. uh, or or state inconvenient truths, uh, or just uh, blindly try to follow the truth. Uh, that's that's not what's needed. But, you know, if you've come through the CCP system, you know darn well that uh, it's all about supporting the approved narrative. And what, what is also abundantly clear is the CCP, all these people that are within U.S. academe or Canadian academe uh, or uh, medical research in the government are... are to, to think of them as not being agents of the CCP is to be grossly naive. They're all carefully tracked. Uh, and they are aware that uh, they, they need to toe the straight and narrow with, uh, with the homeland. Uh, and, and so they're not, uh, even if they get green cards uh, or even eventually US citizenship, they're they're serving a foreign master. They have they don't have any choice, especially if they still have family back in China, uh, and and if they transgress, there will be consequences. So, they're they're in a it's a very different ethical framework from uh, the, you know, classical liberal, uh, in this in the uh, Jeffersonian sense. Uh, a frame of reference that we all think of ourselves as living under uh, or or historically thought of ourselves as living under uh, in in these uh, let's call them uh, uh, democracies with roots in Great Britain um right yeah in the British system that's right we we all we all thought that this was all about uh, um classical liberalism and freedoms and and uh, liberties and uh we're racing towards a uh as you know a centralized world government uh that uses the you know is largely driven and managed by large corporations corporatism 
uh, because the thesis that large corporations are better suited to manage uh, global resources and economics and all that kind of stuff. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. Yeah, <laughs> me too, actually. Um, yeah. So, so that's that's you know, and and these uh, globalist organizations invariably have, they have deep ties to the CCP. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've been um, thinking quite a bit about this lately because as as time goes on the world economic forum begins to feel more and more like a cartoon organization and by that i mean we we would say cut out that, cut that out. that's right a cutout and and you know klaus schwab just he, he just feels like he's been hand selected to be the evil villain in this story you know and i'm not i'm not i'm not disputing that he he has um the you know, WEF was created by the CIA with Henry Kissinger. That's that's irrefutable. Can can you explain that? Um, if you go back to the history of the founding of the WEF um, and meetings at Harvard, I think it was it's either Harvard or Yale. Um, so I've documented that in prior Substacks. Uh, um, uh, and Klaus Schwab was specifically mentored by Henry Kissinger. Uh, so, so if you go back, it's in my Substacks, but it's easy to search with various browsers, assuming that you're able to get access to this information from Canada, which is a question. <laughs> um, uh, if you if you search on Klaus Schwab, Henry Kissinger, and the Web, uh, you'll pull up a series of links that uh, explicitly document the founding of the World Economic Forum. I think it was in the '60s, coming out of a series of meetings. Uh, and uh, and Klaus uh, um, having been mentored by Kissinger, uh, and and there's actually a video, uh, a WEF uh, video, one of their little uh, conferences that they do, uh, in which they're uh, interviewing Klaus Schwab uh, concerning his ties to Henry Kissinger, and he brags about it. He's he acts all coy. Oh, you know. As as you know, kind of bashful. Oh well, you know, I I I did have this relationship, whatever it is he says. Um, so it's it's pretty uh, open and transparent. Uh, the WEF absolutely was uh, created uh, by CIA with Henry Kissinger's deep involvement. Klaus was put in that position. Uh, and then there's the ancillary Club of Rome and other uh, organizations that have fed into this. But uh, our analysis, it's in our book, uh, The uh, Lies My Government Told Me, in our, our introduction to the World Economic Forum, uh, we, my, my thesis is the WEP is functionally a trade organization. Uh, so it's a trade union of the thousand largest companies in the world. So these are all major transnationals. And when you look at the WEF's actions, uh, one of the repeating uh, strategies that they use is they will create a crisis and solution. Okay, so that's, they play that, that game. They'll, they'll um, advance the crisis and then they'll advance the solution to the crisis. And invariably, 
their uh, major corporate members uh, have some financial stake in the proposed solution. So the, the game is, it appears quite clearly in my mind from having seen, and of course, the climate crisis agenda and uh, the uh, various proposed solutions, which never include uh, nuclear energy. All of those proposed solutions are economically uh, counterproductive of windmills and uh, solar panels and all those kinds of things. Anybody that did a real economic analysis, cost-benefit analysis for those sources of energy will see that they're they make no they make no they have no meaning at all. There there is no intrinsic economic logic uh, to support those, uh, and so they've had to come up with these contrived logic arguments of uh, CO two uh, release when uh, actually the the world's largest uh, contributor of CO2 uh, from human activities is coal burning China, which has absolutely no restrictions on it. And they're just going hellbent for leather, uh, burning uh, not just fossil fuels, but coal. And yet the World Bank uh, is, is now prohibiting investments in emerging economies uh, that would uh, facilitate use of uh, uh, petroleum-based products for energy purposes uh, and uh, only is willing to fund, uh, quote, green alternatives uh, for energy uh, solutions in emerging or least developed countries, uh, despite the fact that many of them have massive natural gas resources. Uh, and so they're, they're locking them into debt and into the most expensive form of energy uh, for the ostensible logic that they uh, would otherwise contribute to uh, climate change and global warming. I mean, there's just another puff piece out today about how this was the hottest, last year was the hottest year on record. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, absolute silence about China and China's activities. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the WEF, uh, member states, the, the I say member states, I, I'm sorry, misspoke, uh, their corporate, uh, you know, top corporate leadership uh, members, these thousand largest companies, are the ones that are benefiting financial from these strategies. So that's that's how this game is played, is, is this uh, crisis creation solution uh, coupling uh, and the solutions are, are if, if examined rigorously, they make no sense at all, except through the lens of their providing economic advantage to the thousand largest companies that make up the WEF. Uh, so it's, it is clear corporatism, uh, which uh, I, uh, in the book, you know, it used to be that when people would talk about fascism, they're always talking about the right. Fascism became a weaponized word, uh, synonymous with Donald Trump and the right or libertarianism, when in fact that's a complete falsehood. Uh, as defined by Benito Mussolini, fascism is synonymous with corporatism, mm -hmm. it, which is synonymous with, uh, here's that phrase that we hear again and again, public-private partnerships, right? Um, and uh, the thesis is that these large corporations are better suited to run the world 
than these uh, very messy decentralized democracies, uh, if you want to call them democracies, these independent nation states. And my my so my underlying hypothesis of what's really driving globalism, because it's all being promoted by these uh, you know corporatist uh, non-governmental organizations with the WEF uh, purporting to be uh, setting itself up to be the new world governance organization, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're not shy about that. Uh, that if you if you look at this through the uh, lens of uh, this these thousand largest transnational corporations, okay, they face a very fragmented market. They they have uh, to deal with. Uh, the regulatory, political, and financial complexity associated with cultural and political diversity. And they don't like it very much. And they would prefer, and I think this is part of the underlying, I hypothesize this is part of the underlying agenda behind the open borders policy. They, they really want, they explicitly say, they want to have a harmonized human race. They they want one culture uh, and one genetic profile because that facilitates all kinds of things. Uh, you know, you medicines, pharmaceuticals, uh, politics, uh, all, all kinds of things. I think that what's really driving a lot of this is that from a, you know, one of these mega corporations point of view, Dealing with all this independent, diverse riffraff is what they call friction. Uh, it is an added cost of doing business that's unnecessary. It's an inefficiency in the system of having to deal with all of these independent nation states, cultures, ethnicities, genetic uh, um, profiles, etc. And they would far rather have one harmonized world with one set of laws uh, and one set of leadership, which, by the way, would be them uh, setting the corporate policies. And then they wouldn't have to deal with all this complexity and diversity. They don't like diversity. Diversity is expensive. Diversity costs uh, time and money to them. Uh, and they really don't care about uh, what for the likes of you and me, uh, really, uh, you know, some of the key things that bring value uh, to life, which is encountering people of different walks of life and different points of view, uh, different uh, races, different religions, uh, that, you know, the classical position is the USA is a melting pot, and that's a good thing that cultural diversity uh, benefits innovation and, and uh, um, uh, the uh, interplay of ideas and cultures and uh, um, business models and everything else, it, religions, is a good thing. Uh, it, it fosters innovation. But these folks don't care really about innovation. They care about profit. And that's that's going to be the real victim. Forgive my ranting here. No, if, please. if we allow the globalists to have their their way with us, not only are we going to lose their freedoms, 
But in a fundamental sense, they're going to destroy human innovation. But they're all Malthusianism. Uh, Malthusians. They believe that the world has limited resources and they don't believe that human innovation can overcome the potential risks of those consumption of those limited resources. They, they believe in fixed resources, fixed world, um, uh, and uh, they don't, innovation is, is also market disruption. Market disruption is a bad thing. If, if you happen to be a monopolist, which is what literally all these entities are. They are all intrinsically monopolistic. Now, forgive the rain that's coming over the audio here, but uh, we're we're having uh, what's supposed to be three inches over the next uh, four hours. So, wow, um, it's 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 coming down pretty good. And and the studio here is an old pig barn that <laughs> has a metal roof. So, oh no, uh, sweat. I don't I don't hear anything. So, I'm uh, good. Yeah, no, I um. Yeah, you know, so I want to I want to go back to farmers here because, you know, so in Canada um the policy that came down to farmers was to reduce their uh their nitrous output by 30%. Right. Right? Same same as happened in the Netherlands. And the argument that they would seize land and put farmers out of business because of this quote pollutant. Yeah, and I've you know, it's so my grandparents owned a farm for decades. I spent every summer and, and winter on their farm here in Alberta. And um, I I know the science that goes into farming. I, I myself am not a farmer, but but there's a science to farming that extends thousands of years into the past. Well, but um, since the 1960s, so this is the perversity of this whole situation, is that if, you know, I saw I saw a meme the other day that was perfect. Uh, it said, people that live here, and it had a picture of a smoggy cityscape, are telling people who live here, and it had a picture of round bales in an open field, um, uh, that they're the ones that are damaging the environment. It's crazy. Right? It's um, it's it's crazy. But, but think, think underneath this, this whole nitrogen argument, okay? What what that's really, if you, if you pick it apart, okay, what... What has happened since the rise of big ag and Earl Butts in the USDA was an amazingly corrupt individual uh, um, under Nixon uh, was responsible for, uh, no, he wasn't even under Nixon. Uh, uh, he was under, um, suddenly I'm blanking, uh, uh, Johnson, okay? Johnson administration, Earl Butts, get bigger, get out, right? Uh, it's an obligation of the United States and by extension Canada, because of the wheat fields and everything, mm -hmm. to feed the world. Uh, and so uh, in order to do that efficiently, we have to use modern ag. Modern ag, uh, I mean, you can't buy, the other day I was looking at a chisel plow. Okay, I bought myself a chisel plow that's just buying my 60 horse tractor, okay? Um, and I'm looking at the price of real chisel plows, like you would drive behind a 160 horse, you know, dually tractor. Um, and we're talking 150,000 bucks, right. uh, um, uh, just for a great big gang chisel plow. Uh, and you know, then, then you got all the other stuff you got to have cultivators and everything else. Uh, so, uh, not to mention seed drills. Uh, so, uh, basically, um, get bigger, get out 
was super good for big ag, uh, which is to say Wall Street, right? And the big investment houses. Because your family probably got run out as, as mine did. Uh, you know, my history on my mom's side was a, a fairly large uh, sheep and wheat operation in Eastern Oregon. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, my aunt was a dairy farm. Uh, and I spent some summers there milking cows and dealing with shit and bucking alfalfa. Hmm. Um, so when I still buck alfalfa, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and I and I there was a period where we were making our own hay. Um, uh, so, you know, it's not I'm not just a gentleman farmer. But uh, what happened, if you think it through getting back to nitrogen, uh, they said, in order to get your productivity up, you're going to have to follow these big ag practices. You're going to have to use uh, petroleum-based fertilizers. Uh, and a lot of the nitrogen fertilizer is coming from natural gas, by the way. That's the, the preferred uh, technology. Um, you basically sterilize the soil to about 12 inches. Okay, so you destroy all the biodiversity in your soil, which is where all your nitrogen is coming from naturally, right? Um, uh, fertilizer, instead of, I mean, manure, instead of becoming fertilizer, becomes a problem. Uh, and, um, and our solution is oil-based, uh, you know, nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, uh, potassium, uh, uh, bag fertilizer, pelletized fertilizer, and sterilize the fields, uh, and um, then plant the crop in its corn, wheat, and beans. You know, um, and uh, and if it's if it's animal husbandry, whereas it used to be on a smaller farm, everything was all mixed together. You had animal husbandry that was feeding the soil, and the, and you were producing um, uh, silage and other things. You know, in addition to uh, human food product that you would consume. I remember on the on the dairy farm, uh, uh, it was a whole lot of hamburger and that hamburger was old dairy cows. Right, you know? yeah. And they slaughtered them there. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. tree out front, they'd hang them up and they'd work them down right. and they'd go in the freezer. Uh, and that's just the way things were. Uh, so now everything is siloed. Uh, quite literally, not, you know, and figuratively, you're, you produce... Uh, on this, you know, 160, you're producing corn. And on that, 250, you're producing beans. Uh, and and around and around it goes. You rotate your crops and, and you sterilize the soil and you feed them with uh, nitrogen-based products using, uh, you know, multi-million dollar equipment operations that you are indebted to. You know, you're constantly paying the bank. Uh, that's, you know, you get your crop in and you, you hopefully you've got a buyer uh, mm -hmm. and then you turn right around and you write the check to the bank. Uh, that's, that's the modern life of the farmer. And then they come along and they say, dear Mr. Farmer, you're so naughty. You're using these big uh, ag practices and generating all this excess nitrogen. And the farmer's like, you know, I'm sorry, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, you told me I had to do this or you put me out of business. And now you're saying I'm going to put you out of business because you did it. I, I I just I the 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 fraud here. Yeah. Um, is is profound. Uh, and yet they because they control corporate media, they can jam it down the throats of the consumer 
And the, you know, most consumers have never seen a bloody chicken. Yeah. Um, they they don't know diddly about about where all you know meat is something that comes shrink wrapped. Yeah. Uh, and and they don't know anything about you know all of that, and they don't care, right? They just uh, give me my chicken. Uh, they, you know, and and oh, so this we did a a piece the other day with Epic Times because we have chickens here, uh, right. and um. You know, it's we use something called a, um, uh, let's see what it's called a true blue, um, which is kind of a flighty bird, which we're like, and it produces a blue egg. Um, Whiting's true blue. Uh, the reason why we wanted it is because it's half wild, and the foxes won't get them as easy right. as they fly. Okay, because <laughs> we got a fox problem. But um, uh, so, uh, you know, for us, we we the chickens are basically truly uh, pasture raised. Here, here in the States, we have these terms that are approved by the USDA of cage-free and free range, okay? Free range means you've got, you know, cage-free, they're still in the same damn chicken barn, but they're, and they have their beaks cut off. They've been deep beaked, so they don't peck each other to death. Um, and there's still, thousands and thousands of chickens all jammed in shoulder to shoulder in a chicken barn. If you ever yeah. seen a chicken barn? If you haven't, you know, Mr. Uh, I live in Toronto, you <laughs> ought to look it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you think that you're getting a ethically raised uh, egg or chicken um, uh, because it says free range, well, free range means, all that means is they, at a minimum, they have to have a hole in the side of the chicken barn that the damn chicken can stick his head out of. Right. Okay. It means nothing like what they've done with so many of these other terms. Uh, what you want is pasture-raised, which is something the USDA completely ignores, which is the chickens are out there eating the bugs and yeah. the dirt in the sunshine. And what you get out of that is these uh, yolks that are bright yellow. Yeah. Um, the the egg white stands up. If, if you've never seen a fresh egg, which probably most of your audience has never seen a fresh egg, they've seen stuff that's been processed and cleaned and, and packaged and put on the shelf and blah, blah, blah. When you crack the egg open, the egg white all kind of goes evenly, spreads out. If you get a fresh egg, which most of you probably have never had, um, you crack it and it's got a little bit of that thin white, but then it's got some really uh, cohesive yolk that forms kind of a little mound. Yeah. Uh, and that's how you know you got a fresh egg. So <clears throat> this this is what they've done is they have driven our small farmers out of business already, forced them to become either debtors to uh, large finance uh, or um, basically laborers uh, working for big ag, which is to say large corporate interests. Uh, and they've been doing their best to make ends meet in a crazy messed up system where they are forced to use Monsanto's engineered, you know, whatever the hell it is, uh, or else they'll sue them if they're using uh, seed corn that might happen to have been fertilized by their neighbor's Monsanto plot. Right. Um, used to be you put aside a plot for seed corn. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's all gone. No, you got to buy it from uh, Mr. Monsanto, which is to say Mr. Bayer, 
uh, and uh, use their specialty stuff uh, that's specially attuned to using commercial fertilizers. Uh, and um, that that whole ecosystem destroys the soil. Yeah. It bleeds all the micronutrients out of the topsoil. Uh, you end up with basically sand or, you know, loamy rock or whatever it is your base is. And uh, it's depleted of micronutrients. So then the consumer is getting a, a, a inferior product. Mm -hmm. It's just barely enabled to, to grow because it's this genetically tweaked uh, stock um, fed, uh, you know, this, this synthetic uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium stuff that, that, you know, it's almost like hydroponics. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and it's a, it's an inferior product. And so then, then we're all stunned why we have to get all this micronutrients from uh, supplements. Uh, well, it's because it's not coming in our food like it did for our grandfathers. I, I find the whole thing just obscene and, and so corrupt that the, the, I'm sorry, I'm ranting again, but this, no. this pisses me off. Yeah, um, it really does. The, the targeting of the farmers and it's hard, the targeting of the farmers because they've done what they've been told they had to do. Mm -hmm. And they've been forced into this bad system. Uh, and then they're criticized for doing what it is the systems forced them to do when, you know, they could go back to uh, old school um, uh, where, where you have these mixed animal and uh, crop operations like the Amish do or the Mennonites, uh, where you're not only just rotating crops, but you're using um, this amazing product that's just full of microbes and uh, you want to talk about carbon, uh, you know, locks the carbon in uh, and and supplements the soil and enriches the uh, microbial life and insect life, the worms and everything else. Go take a look at a big, you know, 100 plus acre plot that's uh, farmed intensively on the, you know, on the crop rotation, wheat, corn, beans, uh, take a little shovel full and tell me how many earthworms you see. Mm -hmm. It's going to be Zed, unless you're picking it off of the fringes where, you know, the weeds have been growing. Mm -hmm. uh, that they, they, this, this, what, and then, and then as if that isn't bad enough, then we've got the likes of Gates and the Chinese and God only knows who else coming in saying, we're going to buy all this up and uh, put it fallow uh, so that it can go back to nature and rejuvenate itself. Well, God damn it. It, it would have rejuvenated itself just fine if you would let farmers be farmers. Yeah. I, I just, I, so there's my rant about this whole obscene system. And, and, you know, the farmers, the, the suicide rate is through the roof. Uh, they, they, they are, they are between a rock and a hard spot financially. They're being abused in every direction and uh, including by the bloody politicians. And that's what's going on in Germany is the politicians are saying, oh, we're going to have to raise taxes on farmers. 
<coughs> to support our urban agendas. Uh, and, and the farmers are finally saying, you know, hell no, we can barely make it the way we are. And we thought you guys were appreciating the fact that we were feeding you. Uh, but in fact, no, <laughs> they're not, they're not grateful. They assume food just comes, you know, like, like the rain falling. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, they don't realize most of these people that are putting this kind of stuff together have never, you know, lifted a hammer or scooped a shovel That's in right. their whole bloody life. That's right. No, I, you know, um, what I see happening is kind of a, um, a combination of what the Soviets did with their collective and state farms and well and the Khmer Rouge in trying to move rural communities into the city. Well put. And, and well put. you know, I, I think back to my granddad because my granddad was a real cowboy, you know, probably much like yourself. And well, probably, I, probably much more so. I'm, I'm kind of a derivative. <laughs> well, I, I, I imagine somebody trying to tell him what seeds he could use, or what fertilizer he could use on his farm. He would have shot them. He would have shot okay. them. Like, yeah. it, it, he wouldn't have. Like, he was a no fuck around kind of guy. You know, I mean, yeah. when I was out at the farm every morning, my job was to go out with my brother, bucket of feed. You know, you lay it on the ground to get the chickens out of the coop because you can't take the eggs while they're in there. You're, you unless you want to end up with you know thousands of stitches all over your hands and your arms. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and shoveling shit. You know, he yeah. would hand me a shovel and say, "Hey, it's time for you to get out there and shovel some shit." You know, and that that was what it was. But you know, in all the years that I spent out there, you get to see this unique ecosystem and how it and how it functions and yeah. the, the science that they apply, which is centuries old science. You know, yeah. I mean, this is this is stuff that guys in it's, lab coats. It's, it's it's the learned wisdom of thousands of years of human existence in an agrarian model. Yeah, and and you know, I, I it's it's insanely narcissistic and arrogant to believe that a bunch of guys like Bill Gates know how to do it better. I uh, I couldn't have said it better, and and so uh, to your point. What we're dealing with in these self-appointed global leaders is that we have been selecting now for uh, decades uh, as, quote, leaders, uh, what's referred to as dark triangle personalities. And, and I'm referring to psychology. Okay, This is an accepted modern psychological term, uh, even though uh, mass formation psychosis was not accepted at the time. It's more so now. But dark triad is mainstream modern psychology. So these people are um, Machiavellian. Uh, they are uh, on the psychopath, sociopath axis. Um, uh, and uh, I'm blanking on the third one. Um, uh, they, they, so let's see, psychopath, sociopath, Machiavellian, um, uh, oh, narcissist. That's the third part of the dark triangle, okay? And we select for these people in our leadership. I mean, if you want a poster child of a dark triad leader, um, uh, Mr. Trudeau would would suffice. Yeah. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, so would Gavin Newsom, who here in California is, is like a, uh, a clone. 
mm -hmm. um, pretty boy, uh, you know, and, and he can look straight in the camera, lie to you like a trooper and, and not break a sweat. Um, that's, that's what, and I'm convinced that the WEF, because both of them, of course, are graduates of the World Economic Forum Young Leader Program, as is, are many of your, quote, leaders, political yeah. leaders. Yeah. Uh, including, uh, what's her name? Chris Friedland? Christopher Freeland, yeah, she's. I think yeah. she's on the board of trustees with the WEF as well. So. Yep. 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 Okay. I I'm convinced the WEF, which ACE is, you know, it under my thesis, is this trade organization representing the interests of these transnational corporations. They select for dark triangle personalities. They select for people that have this ability to just flat out lie. They select for people who fit the profile of sociopath, psychopath. Now, uh, just a, a minor little tangent in the uh, literature and definitions in psychology, the difference, main difference between psychopath and sociopath, these people that have no empathy for others, um, is that psychopaths are born and sociopaths are made. Psychopaths fundamentally lack something in the human brain that allows them to uh, have empathy for others. And sociopaths learn it on the job by you know, bad parenting or whatever the hell, mm -hmm. um, uh, they're selected for it. But you know, functionally, they're interchangeable. Uh, and and I, I'm convinced that the WEF selects for these people in their young leader program. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, it's funny because, you know, you, you pointed to Gavin Newsom and I was looking at him the other day and I was like, he's he's he is the perfect, you know, example of an Americanized version of something Canadian. It's better. It's bigger. It's brighter. It's more devious. It's more sinister. It's, you know, it's like better groomed. <laughs> yeah, better groomed, better groomed, more well thought out, you know, with with Justin Trudeau. Bigger, bigger I, smile. That That's right. You know, he's he's the, you know, Canada. Trudeau is the dollar store version of Gavin Newsom. You know, Trudeau is hopelessly transparent. I mean, the guy is insincere to a degree that your own human spirit, you know, cringes at the at just having to yes. listen to him speak. Right. Because yes. nothing he says is real. Nothing is coming from a real place. It's all yeah. put there and you can see it's all synthetic. Yes, it's all synthetic. Absolutely. You can see it in action. Right. Yeah. And, if, you know, if, if we were to create an AI uh, to to serve the WEF, um, uh, and and a, a rendered uh, um, uh, what do they call it uh, NPC? Yeah, like a composite. Yeah, he 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 would be it. Yeah. Right. He, oh, oh, absolutely. We don't we don't have, we don't actually need a living Gavin Newsom. Uh, <laughs> with, a synthetic one would do just fine. So so why do you think? Do you think the the Democrats are going to put him in Biden's place, or do you think Biden still serves a purpose to them? Uh, or is it that Biden has enough hands on the levers of power or Jill, um, uh, that, uh, he'll be able to resist the, uh, efforts to, uh, to shunt him aside after the primaries. Um, it would be more of a current DC insider version. Yeah. Um, so I consider him a friend and a colleague, Peter Navarro, uh, who served in the Trump administration and actually was, among other things, tasked with 
sourcing hydroxychloroquine for the whole nation, which he succeeded at, but then he got bushwhacked um, and they ended up destroying all that HCQ. Uh, but that's another story. So Peter did an interview recently with the New American. Uh, so uh, just a plug for New American. I think it's a great publication. It's from the John Birch Society, which has been vilified. Uh, but uh, John Birch is, you know, since the mid-century, since World War II, being, been a staunch anti-communist organization. They've been vilified for it. But uh, suddenly... Uh, their positions don't seem so radical <laughs> in the face of the CCP, right? Right. Um, uh, so, uh, so Peter gave an interview uh, to Veronica Karolinko uh, that was recently published that I kind of helped set up. Let me let me put this away. Um, uh, and in it, so Peter is is pretty wired in with the Trump crowd. He's a friend of Bannon. Uh, and the thrust of the interview was that he he is convinced that uh, they will run uh, Michelle Obama and Gavin Newsom as Veep uh, after uh, the primaries. They'll get switched out in the convention, uh, and and that's going to be the Democrat dream team. Uh, and uh, the way the Demo Democratic Party has really cooked the books. I mean, we saw it with Bobby Kennedy. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and um, uh, so uh, they they are very good at excluding anybody that uh, the, um, uh, we can call them deep state, you know, behind the curtain leaders, or they call them super delegates. Uh, they they control what gets through. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they have set up their party rules so that it's entirely feasible uh, for them to uh, swap him out and her in uh, in this way. And that's that's the scenario that uh, uh, many think uh, would be uh, best able to win. Uh, for the Democratic Party, um, they have a problem with Kamala. Uh, one of their key constituencies in terms of the electoral uh, college geography is South Carolina Black women uh, who came out in force to support Biden, probably played a key role in Biden um, winning, if you believe that he won. Um, and uh, and certainly making the electoral count that he that happened, and so the Democratic Party can't afford to uh, dis uh, black South Carolina women right now. Is the way I hear the story from insiders, and uh, um, that they, there are those who are arguing that the Democratic Party is coming apart at the seams at the moment mm. uh, in a in a spectacular way. Uh, um, fighting over uh, a lot of the current issues that they're grappling with, budget and everything else, and expansionism, imperialism, Ukraine, uh, all that stuff. And um, and so uh, normally they would want to run Kamala uh, to uh, align themselves with this key constituency. 
generally black men are increasingly coming over to the conservative side. Yeah. Uh, um, so that's one of the big, you know, one of the things driving the kind of breakup of the classic democratic coalition. Uh, but uh, they would, they, they, if they're not going to run Kamala and Kamala is an absolute loser. Uh, she, it was known when she was put in that she was uh, not up to the task and, you know, we've seen nothing but validation that she's not up to the task uh, since then. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, she was the one that was supposed to secure the borders, uh, just to say it. <laughs> uh, so, um, so if not Kamala, what are they going to do uh, to win over uh, and maintain that base of uh, black uh, South Carolina voters, uh, women voters, and they've got to put a woman in the masthead. They've never they've never succeeded in in putting a, a woman in, and uh, Michelle uh, is perceived as uh, a very formidable opponent by the Republican Party. And uh, if if it, you know if it's Biden versus Trump, it a lot of D.C. is kind of uh, even the press is starting to come to terms with the fact that it would be Trump who would win. And that's cre already creating some strategic shifting uh, and people positioning themselves uh, so that they might have a chance to get back in a Trump administration. But uh, um, if if they if the Democrats manage to pull off something like a, a Obama Newsom ticket, uh, then that electoral politics starts getting scrambled, and the. The big question in all of this, kind of the 800-pound gorilla unaddressed that a lot of the insiders discount, they think Bobby Kennedy isn't going to even pull a single electoral college vote. Um, and and he's just, I've heard uh, terms like he's a vanity candidate. Uh, but um, and I'm not disclosing who I'm hearing from this from, but I paradoxically find myself moving in very high level conservative circles. Uh, never asked for this. I never expected it, but it's just bizarrely happened. Right. Um, uh, so uh, um, I guess they like my message, but uh, or my energy, but uh, they uh, they perceive this potential pair as a significant risk. Bobby as a uh, inconsequential vanity candidate uh and uh and yet polls are suggesting that bobby uh can have a real impact and that, so this is the wild card is could bobby you know I, I don't think there are any serious uh political um uh um people who are um, uh, seriously analyzing the odds of the outcomes that, uh, you know, political statisticians that uh, count Bobby's candidacy as a serious contender for winning. But uh, there's two wild cards that I think are out there. One is, could Bobby actually take enough electoral college votes to deny either party 270? Because if you can't get to 270, it throws it into the House. Okay, 
and and the the current constitution indicates that in that event uh each state would get one vote one electoral vote not entirely clear who controls who that vote would be mm -hmm. uh is it going to be the state legislature or what not not you know not the governor uh so that's an important thing but each state would control one electoral college vote and then um it would be a race for who gets the majority uh and um uh so bobby's the the thinking is the the best case scenario for bobby is that he's a spoiler and he forces the uh election into the house under these constitutional rules uh which we've never seen before so there's going to be all kinds of bickering right. uh it's just going to go on and on and on and accusations of fairness and you know all that kind of there's going to be all kinds of gaming going on uh the other uh wild card scenario is something takes trump out um you know does trump uh end up in jail and get epstein uh you know what uh you know is is there and the, the uh effort to get him off the ballot uh that uh um, passed in, I think it's Maine and Colorado, is going to be heard by the Supremes uh, shortly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've looked at the 14th Amendment, which is the basis for this. This is this amendment, constitutional amendment that was put in place after the Second World War to basically keep old Confederates out of the U.S. government. Uh, and uh, it is a hot mess. If you, you know, you, you read that thing and it's like reading the uh, WHO's new uh, pandemic health treaty and the international health regulations, it's you can't make heads or tails out of it. Right. Uh, and it's all written from the perspective of post uh, um, civil war uh, with no real thought about how it might be used or weaponized in the future. And a strong case is being made by many uh, conservatives. The January 6th, which is increasingly being seen as a uh, false flag manufactured operation, uh, that January 6th was engineered to enable the application of the 14th Amendment. Mm -hmm. That the, all that talk about, remember, it was, it was another one of these neuro-linguistic programming um, insurrection, 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 insurrection. Okay, why would they use that term? Okay, mm -hmm. because insurrection is the specific term used in the 14th Amendment. Yeah. Okay, so the thesis is that January 6th was engineered to support a narrative of uh, Trump being an insurrectionist, which would allow them to uh, uh, remove him from ballots based on the Fourth Amendment that this is a long game. Um, and uh, there's no question there has been an extremely aggressive concerted effort that reflects a really a sense of existential crisis that if Trump gets in, it will be the death of the administrative state. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's where this, you know, and, and all of the infrastructure associated with the administrative state, you know, it's links to, uh, Corporate media, um, the the role of FBI and CIA, 
Um, there's an interesting article out a couple of weeks ago about how Obama basically re-engineered the CIA to support his agenda when he was yeah. in. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's that's my snapshot of where all this is going uh, it, since you raised the question. Um, and, uh, you know, 2014, 2024 is looking like uh, it's going to be a really turbulent ride. You know, we're going to have Alaska air window blowouts <laughs> on a routine basis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So strap in. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, even in even in Canada, like we're gearing up for a for an election here. And of course, Trudeau is despite all of the advice from liberal advisors is decided to run for reelection problem is this campaign doesn't really have any legs because nobody believes a single word he says even liberals anymore um you know i'm like you i find myself in conservative circles even though i you know consider myself a centrist classical liberal but you know our, our even our conservative see canada is in a little bit of a different place because even our conservative candidate he's still of the establishment so yep. you know so he's uniparty yeah, yeah, and and you know he he's a populist. He speaks to the people. He's he's addressed things like central bank digital currencies and digital IDs and the World Economic Forum and all these things. But yeah, he's he's part of the Uniparty. We don't have a Trump figure or a Bobby Kennedy. And and in my opinion, I think Bobby Kennedy is the real dark horse in the U.S. And I think he's the best thing to happen to the United States in a really long time. I I think that it's 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 unfortunate that established media established media and just the establishment in general operates in the way that it does because i feel like although bobby kennedy has his flaws uh politically i i i feel like he's he might be the only one who's truly you know interested in actually saving his country from from certain doom it, it seems right and yeah. so that's that's and the the counter thesis is that trump also uh he's he's pissed he's mad as hell for good reason yeah. uh and um bannon's argument for trump you know as of last year's cpac was trump is a wartime president he's battle-hardened uh and and he knows he knows what bad guys are uh and he is not naive in the way that he was in the first term right uh we'll see you know uh he did he did a lot of things that in retrospect uh turned out to have been right uh um uh but got his ego uh and um and his his uh ability to build coalition uh um but you know then we have Javier Millier down in Argentina who is just a you know a battle axe yeah uh to the administrative state there. And um, that that seems to be the real deal. Of course, the narrative is that he's just another weffer. Uh, and uh, you're probably there in Alberta, you're probably sensitive. A lot of people aren't aware. <clears throat> Argentina is sitting on an oil strike uh, the size of the Permian Basin. Right. The dead cow oil field. Uh, and and uh, so, they're they're all bitching because Millier aligned himself with the petrodollar, but what was his alternative? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to to go with BRICS. Uh, um, you know, I I uh, so I 
I know Bobby fairly well. Um, and I don't want to bash him or, you know, talk, talk him down, but, uh, I was asked to endorse him and I, and I, uh, did my best to graciously say no. Um, I'm not formally endorsing anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if I'm called to serve in some future administration, I will serve my country to the best of my ability, but I'm not seeking political office anyway. And, um, and I, I think that uh, here in the States, we've got, as you point out, we, we have as much of a unity par uniparty problem as you do. Yeah. Uh, the other wild card is that uh, the European Parliament elections are coming up. I think it's in uh, May. Um, uh, and uh, that there's a number of uh, alternative narrative candidates you know, Christine Anderson being uh, the standard bearer, but uh, um, we may see some fundamental shifts in the European Parliament, uh, which would, uh, particularly coming from the Eastern Bloc, yep. the former Soviet states are, they're kind of in the, uh, been there, done that with totalitarianism, and they don't want it again. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I pointed to this the other day, but, you know, during the Freedom Convoy here in Canada, there's a number of videos, you can search them out, of people from, you know, Eastern Bloc countries who came to Canada to escape the Soviets who are basically warning us, like, hey, this is this is what was happening. The same thing yeah. was happening when I was yeah, a child. Same playbook. Same, same exact, it never changes, right? And, like, yeah. you know, that's the reason why I Except felt... Except for the thing that has changed is the power that is conferred by the internet. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And you know, it's funny. It's, it's interesting you say that because when I was talking to Brett Weinstein, that was a major part of our discussion in that, you know, they never anticipated Dr. Robert Malone to stand up and say, Hey, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Bless his heart for that. Um, he, that was his message in Romania at the fourth international COVID summit, which by the way, uh, I'll just tell you a secret. Um, the International COVID <laughs> Summit is actually organized by a Canadian. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, she remains uh, very much behind the scenes. Uh, um, her and her uh, cousin who lives in Rome. Uh, and there is going to be, so here's a shameless plug. Uh, we're doing ICS-5 uh, concurrent with CPAC this February. And okay. uh, we've invited your Alberton prime minister, uh, the uh, concurrent session. Uh, we've got a 500 uh, person room uh, reserved at the Gaylord in DC. Uh, um, so pretty fancy digs. Uh, um, uh, and um, that session all day is gonna be focused more on uh, geopolitics, WEF, uh, UN, uh, the uh, International Health Treaty, uh, and and kind of the geopolitics of what we've seen with COVID and censorship, uh, mm -hmm. rather than our our history in the past has been to be more focused on science. And then uh, the following Monday, uh, there'll be testimony in the Senate sponsored by Ron Johnson in the U.S. Senate that'll okay. be more scientific. And then in the interim, we'll have another day. We're still discussing about whether 
some of it will be open to press or it will be our usual uh, kind of behind the scenes, uh, no press allowed where we all get to talk to each other. But uh, we're the, the so far the list of, of uh, international uh, um, politicians that are saying yes is uh, deep and amazing. Mm. Uh, and um, I think that could be a, a big, a big event. So, uh, of course, we would welcome uh, attendees from Canada, uh, particularly from Alberta. <laughs> uh, um, uh, as you're the kind of the epicenter of uh, the Canadian resistance. We are. Um, and we're hoping that your your PM uh, might attend directly or send a representative. Uh, we've got multiple uh, members of the European Parliament coming, uh, hopes for the likes of Andrew Bridgen, et cetera. Uh, and Nigel Farage uh, um, and others representing the UK. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's uh, I think it's February 24 to 27. That sounds so amazing. That, it, we haven't yet posted the official website, uh, um, but, uh, but that's looking like it's gonna, it's gonna come mature. Uh, and and then people that will be enrolled, the actual fee will be 95 bucks. And that will give you entry into the full CPAC. Uh, so uh, you can attend both the breakout session in that one day and then the other CPAC days. And we are absolutely setting it up so that uh, alternative media can uh, buy access to Media Row uh, sponsors can get sponsor booths, uh, et cetera. So, uh, keep that on your calendar. That sounds amazing. And, you know, I'm, I know you have to run, you got some work to do on the farm. Um, I just want to ask you one really quick question before you go, because you brought up Romania, um, uh, Denis Rancor gave a, a absolutely um, knocked it out of the park. So can I ask you what you if you've read that study, what you think of that estimated 17 million um, figure? Do you, do you think that's that's an accurate estimation? I think it's some of the best that anyone has been able to do. And I'm very impressed by Dennis and his team. Uh, this is what they do for a living. And um, I kind of introduced Ed Dowd to the world a bit. Uh, I'd met him on Maui uh, and worked with him early on in a lot of this stuff. But then I had to kind of clock out because it was just, he was doing his insurance database stuff and I, I couldn't keep up with that and everything else I had to keep up. Um, but Ed, Ed, is, Ed and his team have a different uh, point of view. They're analysts, uh, invest, investment analysts. And uh, that's that's more forward-looking uh, risk analysis, et cetera. Dennis is, and his team are classic academics. Hmm. Uh, he got run out of academe uh, because in you know in prior issues before this, he was uh, coming to controversial conclusions. <laughs> uh, but I have no doubt of his professionalism and uh, rigor and uh, was very impressed by the examples he gave historically uh, of other all-cause mortality events historically. Um, I think he's the real deal. Uh, he's probably as close as we can get right now with the highly biased data sets that are available uh, that are, are um, quite edited 
you know, just another uh, paper came out that I published on Substack uh, citing um, about the New Zealand government uh, manipulating the uh, uh, renal uh, uh, morbidity. So this is kidney impacts of the jab uh, and kind of just arbitrarily cutting them in half. Uh, you know, we've we've had the governments that are complicit in this uh, face a real problem, including your government mm -hmm. uh, and and especially the United States government. I mean, the, the data are in now and the U.S. government uh, absolutely colluded with the CCP and the People's Liberation Army to uh, engineer this virus. Uh, and and uh, U.S. funded it. Uh, and that's that's the truth. Um, and uh, then uh, the U.S. government uh, played a key role in jamming this through the regulatory process uh, and then propagating it across the world. Uh, and um, this is these are not safe products and they aren't absolutely aren't effective. They're licensed. I ran this ground the other day. The licensure for these uh, modified mRNA products is for preventing COVID. That is their licensed indication. Okay, they absolutely do not prevent COVID. Yeah, they do not prevent infection. They don't prevent replication. They don't prevent spread. They don't prevent disease, and they don't prevent death. Those are all true statements. You can take them to the bank. I don't, you know, any fact checker can look at that, and they're going to have a hard time wiggling around that statement I just made. And yet that's what they're licensed for. And then we have the new stuff with the DNA contamination and all that, that they're just, uh, you know, substituting lies uh, because they don't have the data to support their position. But uh, that's a whole nother uh, half hour discussion. Yeah, I um, saw, I, I read your piece on uh, on uh, Paul Offit and uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> his, um, let's, to put it, nicely his misunderstanding of the science uh we we have a new category of denialism uh tr dna transfection deniers <laughs> uh, and two of them happen to be paul offit and the director of siever peter marks who by the way together with bob cadillac is the one that engineered operation warp speed okay so a little conflict of interest there that's his baby uh, he wants <laughs> yeah. to win um yeah. uh but they they are in flat out denial, uh, and and uh, I invite you uh, to call up the University of British Columbia, and uh, let's see what's his name. I'm I'm suddenly blanking and I'm embarrassed by it. Peter Cullis, B I E T E R C U L L I S. Look him up, UBC. Um, good luck getting him to take a phone call. He won't take mine anymore. He used to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, I'm perplexed. I know, right? Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, but ask ask Peter Cullis, or you can just look him up on PubMed or whatever, and see whether his transfection formulations work for DNA. And the answer is yes. Okay, <laughs> I guarantee. Okay, right. so all this, uh, oh, it doesn't ever get into the cell. The DNA won't get into the nucleus. Uh, oh, it's all a it's all a fake um, because. Uh, I say so, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, and and it took me about uh 3.2 nanoseconds on the internet uh to pull up PubMed 
and do a keyword search on DNA transfection and pull up about 30,000 references. Okay. Right. right. Um, this absolutely happens. So uh, it's uh, the whole thing is just veering into to bizarro land, uh, it, as people say, clown world. It really is. And, you know, I guess just to close, you know, Anthony Fauci is currently in a closed door um, session giving a statement. Uh, and we have uh, today's Substack. I think Jill's working on it right now. Is going to be the first uh, press release from that committee. Uh, and one of the things that they've revealed is that uh, Tony said that he signed off personally on every single grant and contract coming out of the NIAD. So he signed off on those grants, but he did not review them. <laughs> and that uh, so uh, you know this is I did not have sex with that woman. Yeah, uh, and um. Uh, um, furthermore, NIH has no mechanism for verifying compliance with uh, foreign uh, grant awardees. Right. So basically, if you're the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you can say that I'm going to do this research using the latest uh, reverse pressure wound suit stuff and then go pay people to go do it at the bench. And no one's going to be the wiser. Right. And you could pocket the difference. Right. Yeah, so do you think Anthony Fauci, Peter Daszak, any of these, I'm sorry for for not having a better phrase, but any of these fucking scumbags, do you think any of them do um, a day in prison or suffer uh, any repercussions? So, so here's the, the working thesis uh, from the insiders that I chitter chatter with. Uh, um, and some of them are extremely knowledgeable. Uh, the administrative state cannot be held guilty for this. Okay, that's just a political reality. Okay, that's they they never get held accountable for right. any of the stuff they do. Um, right. uh, you know the torture. It, it just doesn't happen. But this is so big that somebody is going to have to take a fall. Somebody's going to get thrown under the bus. Who's that somebody? That is the big buzz right now. And as I said, there's a whole lot of scrambling and positioning right now from people like Bob Cadlick with his interview with Sherry Markson at Sky News in Australia uh, to try to you know, cover their backside and get back in good graces after having been disgraced by their activities. Uh, and the the... The, this is akin to Peter Navarro's hypothesis about where the Democratic Party is going to go. So it's in the realm of, we call it hypothesis. Right. Okay. The hypothesis is that Daszak and Fauci are going to be the sacrificial lambs. Somebody is going to have to go down for this. Uh, and uh, Daszak is abs the closest thing to a puppet master we have. Um, and, uh, you know, more so than Klaus Schwab. Daszak is internationally connected with everybody. He's right at the center of all this with Bill Gates and everything else. Okay. So Daszak is on the short list for uh, a bus ride. Um, uh, and, uh, or, or they say in Yellowstone, a ride to the train station. That's um, right. Right. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, Fauci. Also, the problem being Fauci is an insider uh, um, 
deep stater. Uh, and the, the um, unknown unknown uh, is whether or not Moderna and Pfizer are going to have to take a hit on this. Uh, under the thesis that uh, the U.S. government was hoodwinked by these bad actors who uh, were not open and transparent about what they were doing. Uh, and uh, we wouldn't have known. This is consistent with Fauci's uh, positioning. Uh, yeah, I signed off on it, but I didn't actually look at it. Right. Uh, right? And right. no, my people don't have any mechanism. Oh, you should give me more money uh, so <laughs> right. that we can set up another institute <laughs> to do the work that we should have been doing instead right. of all the FTEs that we were hiring to interface with the press, for instance. You know, he's had like his, the size of his FTE, full-time employee cadre for managing external press relations is like 45. He had like 45 full-time employees managing social media and corporate media. That's just from NIAD. That's not all of NIH. That's just Tony Fauci. Right. Okay. That's bigger than most newsrooms. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. They had plenty of money. Uh. They just decided to spend it in ways that advance their own careers and their own agendas. Right. Uh, instead of on stuff like, hey, figuring out whether uh, the people that we're giving money to are actually doing what they said they were going to do. Right. Um, uh, it seems reasonable to me, yeah. but that's, so that's, that's, that crystal ball is, uh, somebody's going to take the fall. Uh, the administrative state can't, right. Uh, just politically and right. financially. Uh, and, uh, and the question is, as the burden of evidence is accumulating, who's, who's going to be, uh, the sticky yeah. Well, I hope so. I, I I hope it's more than a few people. You know, I mean just to Oh, it won't just, be. No, there will be a very small number of sacrificial lambs. Yeah, just just basically another okay. Bernie another Bernie Madoff is is essentially what we're going to be looking at here, right? Well, all the If if we're lucky. Yeah. I know. Well, you know, I guess I guess approving grants and not reviewing them and not knowing where the money's going or what it's going toward, I guess that's justified in some sense in our crazy upside down world that we live in. So another one of the loose cannons that I'm hearing is that uh, um, Tony actually was principal investigator on a number of his own grants. So he's signing off on the money to go to his own people and his own projects for which he gets on the patents, for which he gets the patent revenue, right? We're, we're now talking about big money. We're talking about billions right. over multiple years because as Brett laid out in that uh, lovely discussion he had with Tucker, um, the platform technology, uh, which Mr. Cullis and his colleagues will benefit greatly from, and rumored is that the Trudeau Foundation or fa family also, mm -hmm. um, un unconfirmed, uh, um, that's a multi-trillion dollar market. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, that will not manifest if uh, the truth comes out about how toxic this stuff is. Mm. Um, so pharma is going to fight tooth and nail uh, to protect its uh, estate, its property, 
It's it's multi-trillion dollar cash cow over the next 20 years. Wow. Um, and that's that's the real fight. Yeah. We we get distracted by the stuff over here. Yeah, that no, that's it. That's it. I it, it re that really is it. it. Is that we're, you know, it's like these political cudgels and talking points are thrown at us just so that we don't see what's happening over there. Right. And um, well, Dr. Malone, I, I know you got to get outside in the rain and, you know, proverbially <laughs> shovel some shovel shit. shit. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, so or at least feed the chickens. <laughs> well, hang around for a second after we're done recording. We'll say goodbye privately. But in the meantime, can you tell everybody where they can find you on Substack? Uh, well, this is interesting because yesterday uh, when I was online with the uh, testimonial group, uh, they tried to find my Substack using, uh, I forget, it was uh, a Google browser. And uh, it got flagged as, you know, I, they typed in the address I gave them and it got flagged as uh, dangerous content. <laughs> uh, other people, and so Jill posted this on, on X and then a bunch of Canadians wrote back, no, I can see it. Um, so uh, God bless you if you can find rwmalonemd.substack.com. Uh, of course, there's also our book and on X, Gab, Getter, and True Social, it's at RW Malone MD, if you're allowed to see any of those. Uh, <laughs> and then there's the uh, Malone Institute. So that's maloneinstitute.org, one word, um, then .org. Uh, and there we have a lot of the more lengthy document uh, documentation about things, including the most comprehensive spreadsheet list of graduates of the WEF Young Leaders Program. So you can look it up and you can, if you can use Excel, just click the tab and sort by country or industry or <clears throat> last name or whatever it is you want. Uh, and you can smoke out uh, who there in Alberta is uh, um, a product. I argue that uh, uh, WEF young leader graduates um, are foreign nationals. Mm. They, yeah. they, they are um, serving the interests of an organization that asserts that it is the global government. Okay, that means they're not they're not working for Canada. They're working for a hostile um, globalist power. Um, they 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 should uh, give up their citizenship, as far as I'm concerned. Or in the United States, they should have to register as uh, foreign lobbyists if they're active in politics. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, if you're if you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, you can do a deep dive in the Malone Institute and just follow the links to the WEF uh, Excel spreadsheet and uh, happy hunting. Man, you just dug up a whole other mound of dirt, sir. I got to have you back sometime soon to get to dig into that one because that was that. Yeah. OK, well, Dr. Malone, thank you again for your time and your wisdom, sir. I really appreciate the conversation, man. It was great. It's been a fun um, you know, stay safe. Uh, yeah. Next Thank year's going to be a rough ride. <laughs> yeah, it is for sure. You might find me out on your farm. I be, might be looking for work as a farmhand in the near future. Uh, I, well, that works for us. Uh, we are looking for good labor. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.